and welcome to this episode of What If with me, Rosie. And me, Lorraine. And we've got a very, very special guest today, haven't we? We do. You know what? He was the man that kind of united the nation mm-hmm. last year, wasn't it? Captain Sir Tom. Captain Sir Tom, 100 years old, uh, walking around his garden. And what if he hadn't done that? What if he hadn't done that? But what if the idea hadn't happened in the first place? Because we're going to be talking to his daughter, Hannah Ingram Moore, who was the woman who had the idea in the first place. An idea that changed the lives of the whole family, really, when you think about Mm. it. Hello, Hannah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Rosie. Hello, Lorraine. So lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. We also have our 10-week-old Ruby, the pup, who is trying to chew my earphones right now. She is. So if you hear a squeak, I apologise. Um, <laughs> it's not me or my mum. She's just very um, teething at the moment, so it's been difficult. <laughs> um, but we will go straight into it. Um, you were the one that came up with the idea for your dad's 100 laps. I suppose we almost have to go a little bit further back than yeah. that. Yeah. Um, to sort of lead into the 100 laps. And it really... I suppose started with the fact that you know my father married my mother the love of his life and he 16 years his junior and he was a Yorkshireman and said Riley all the time well I married someone much younger so she'd be around to look after me when I got old and the irony of that of course is she died when she was in her 60s so you know tragic really tragic but that's probably the trigger because if she hadn't died he would have stayed where he was Mm. Um, and it was because he was left alone and my husband, myself and Benji, who was three then, were moving uh, to set up our own business. And we were moving from being sort of half an hour away from him to being, you know, just north of the M25. So you know what that's like, M25, M1, M25, mm. you know, all the major roads, not going to happen with young children and new business. So I said to him, look, we're moving. Please come with us. Um, we don't want you to be by yourself. And he, this is not a lonely man, right? He's not. He was not a lonely man. He was very self-sufficient. Um, but we knew that having come from a place where we were seeing him two or three times a week, we wouldn't do it. So, um, you know, I think he spent some time thinking about it because it was his independence, right? Suddenly he's going to mm-hmm. move everything he knew in the place that my mother was from to come to be with us in our new life. But he said yes. And I suppose that's the trigger, because if she hadn't died so young and he hadn't been widowed and we hadn't moved and we hadn't asked him and he hadn't said yes, none of that would have happened. Mm. That is a real what. There's so many what ifs. There's so many what ifs. But but the the trigger goes right back. Yeah. Because so many points in there may not have happened. Yeah. Um, So he moved in with us and... I suppose we were a little bit ignorant of what that meant, really. We Mm. hadn't thought ahead of how that would be, living in a multi-generational house. Honestly, it never crossed our minds. We were just busy. Did you have a conversation with your husband about it? Because I think if, I don't know what you would do with dad, but if you said, oh, my mum and dad are living with us now. Oh, dad would be delighted. (laughs) (laughs) Be kicking his heights in, you would be. Uh, Note. (laughs) But you obviously had this brilliant relationship with him, and you know, yeah. But but was it something that you had to sort of think about, or was it something just this is Mm. going to happen? So it's going to be. Yeah, I think for me, honestly, I just I couldn't have done it. I wouldn't. I didn't. I said to him, "We're not going if you don't come." Okay. That's how I felt, Mm. and I can't even explain that to you. I think you know, look, he was in his fifties when I was born, right? 
different relationship. Um, and I just didn't want to see him at 87 alone. And so he moved. Uh, he sold his house. We sold ours. We didn't want his money. We said, look, you know, just come. And we drove through the gates at the same time uh, with about five different removal vans because he had so much stuff. <laughs> and literally, we walked in and went, uh, you, that, you put that, you put that there, you have that bedroom, you have that living room. And that's how we lived. And what we hadn't foreseen was this magical environment we were creating. We didn't know it. We were totally ignorant of that. We were just doing it because we wanted to. And then suddenly we were living in this reciprocal mentoring. Like he wasn't a spare. Um, he was then a fourth and then Georgia came along and he was a fifth. Mm. And he was a really vital fifth. I am coming to answer your question. I <laughs> Roll that on uh, to years later when at 98 he tripped and fell in the kitchen. I was on the bus, at, actually the 137 that comes past here and... Benji called me and said, Mum, Grandad's fallen. And, you know, occasionally he fell as he got older, but mostly because the dogs bowled him over. But And he'd get up again and he'd be all right. And I said, OK, is he OK? And he went, no, no, I don't think he is. I'll call you back. So I'm expecting him to call me back and go, it's all right, he's up. He's a bit bruised, but he's up. He phoned me back, you need to come home. Um, you need to come, we've called an ambulance, he can't get up. So... Long story short, he was in A&E by the time I got home and no one thought he'd survive it. He got subcutaneous emphysema because when he fell, he fractured his hip, but he broke a rib, punctured a lung and um, the oxygen leaked in under the layer under your skin. So he, he blew up like you won't remember this, Rosie, but like Michelin Man, you'll remember. Mm -hmm. I do yes. indeed. Oh, yes. The poorie thing, because he was only wee. Yes, mm. yes. <laughs> it's skin and bone. Like he, he, and so when uh, my sister and I walked into the ward, I went, excuse me, like, he shouldn't look like this, because how did they know? They didn't know he shouldn't look like that. Ah, of course. So I had a picture on my phone. He went, he looks like this, not like that. And it was touch and go then, because it was, um, he was being strangled. So prognosis, not good. Um, but seven weeks later, out he came <laughs> at 98. So rolling again, just a little bit forward to answer your question. <laughs> Pandemic hit, and we hear whispers that there may be a lockdown. And then the lockdown came. And for me, with my business, I'm a, I'm a service industry. My pipeline for the next 18 months wiped clean in almost overnight gone. Mm. The other side of our business, it's about land. The chains went round the gates. Everything stopped. And uh, when all roads lead to you, that's a really frightening uh, moment I think there are many things that have scared me over the years, but that was the most scared I'd honestly ever been. My husband and I sat there genuinely thinking, what does this mean? Mm. How will we sustain it? And no talk of what government support there'd be at that point, right? So quite dark times, for, for not just for us, for the many, right? But it was sunny and glorious and we uh, sat outside and did what a lot of the nation was doing, like topped up our wine glasses in quite a major way. <laughs> yes, I um, hear was gin o'clock time. Gin o'clock time. All the time. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> Fill that glass. Where else are we going? Um, the kids were, you know, putting something on the barbecue and my father walked out. And it was the first time he'd walked out in that, because it was the first sunny weekend, like second week of lockdown. If you cast your mind back, yeah. it's all a blur, I know, but... He walked out because he was rehabilitating, had rehabilitating since he'd fallen the previous year then. 
And we'd had to cancel his 100th birthday party because of lockdown. So we, we had all these things imagined. And I'd written a press release saying, guess what, you've got a centenarian in your midst. What fun. You know, just wrote a little bit about him because I thought, look, give people a little bit of joy. This is before sure. lockdown. Was that just like for the local newspaper yes, yes, and yes. local radio just, and things? Yes, just to say, oh, oh, we've got a centenarian. Something to something celebrate. To celebrate. Exactly. But then lockdown happened. Nothing. Oh. So, but keep in mind, it's already written, this press release. So my husband went, oh, keep on walking, Tom. Can't throw you a birthday party. We'll give you a pound a lap. Um, do 100 before your 100th birthday there's a party for you and because we all had this fun relationship and my father went alright then good northerner alright then if you challenge me I'll take it so I went oh well the thing is though £100 what does that buy you honestly nothing let's make it a 1000 because we're already we're all talking about PPE the the terrible effects NHS all these terrible things and I said, let's raise a thousand because I don't know how much all these things cost, but at least a thousand pounds will go towards it and, mm. and maybe do something. So we all agreed a thousand pounds. And I went, well, I'll just stick up a Just Giving page. And I tell you what, I'll send out that press release I'd already done for your birthday. I'll just put it about you walking. So why don't you walk for the NHS COVID-19 appeal? All right. And I said, we have to call you something. So we'll call you Captain Tom. And he went, oh, but I'm retired. And I went, <laughs> nobody cares. And nobody cared. Um, so just in this order, this is all we did. Press release went out on the Tuesday following this Sunday lunch. Just giving a page, Monday, Tuesday. Benji and Georgia went, oh, we'll make an iMovie, Mum, and get all our friends to say, please support Captain Tom walking for the NHS. 170 people. Benji sat overnight for two nights putting it all together. None of us thinking, right? None of us thinking anything mm. other than that's nice. Make people happy, be a bit of joy. Within 24 hours, we were on regional. Uh, within TV, within 48 hours, we were on national. And within a week, we raised half a million pounds and we're talking to the world. Wow. Incredible. Incre- the right man at the right time. Mm-hmm. It was like he was sent to us when we absolutely needed We needed him, didn't mm-hmm. we? We really did. And it just, it was just like the stars aligned. Did he have, I mean, in the early days when all of this was going on, did any of you have any idea what this would be like? That he would be globally famous, <laughs> knighted by the Queen and beloved by the entire nation? No. Not one <laughs> not a clue. second, not a <laughs> clue. When did it all sort of hit you? I think for the first week, we were just propelled by do the interviews, people are donating, do the interviews, people are donating, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. And then as we hit the second week when he did the 100 laps early... I think that was the day that the world shifted for us as a family. It was a moment when BBC Breakfast had gone, the army had gone. I was on the phone, Virgin Radio, live. Chris Evans going, you need to get someone to sponsor his trainers and his walker and and tell me about your (laughs) family like this. And I'm trying to keep up with that and also get the message across. And as I looked out, I saw the world's media coming up the drive. And I have to say, honestly... I thought, I don't know what to do. But it was too late, really, mm. because they were setting up in front of me. <laughs> God, I'd, honestly, you came into your own. I mean, I know the focus was, of course, on your dad and that's what it was all about. But you were absolutely crucial in, in all of this. And it's a very, very difficult thing, a very overwhelming thing, even when it's for something that's so positive and so wonderful. It's still overwhelming to have all of this happening and you're kind of seeing it all there and thinking... 
how do I control this? This is actually quite frightening in some ways. You know, it is overwhelming. That's exactly the word. Yeah, I, I honestly thought, I don't know how to do it. And my father had gone in for a rest because, <laughs> you know, he had done like two hours of live television already. Mm. My husband had, by this point, we had 1.5 million emails in the first 10 days. Wow. 1.5 million? Yeah. yeah. Good grief. <laughs> Great. And uh, there's no way to keep up with that. No, right. so, no. so my husband was in the kitchen with um, Benji and Georgia had come back out to me saying, are you right, mum? She was 11 then, right? And I won't say which broadcast company it was, but they set up and said, can you go live in three minutes? And so so I said, okay, because because people will donate, right? So yes. I'll mm. do it. And Georgia was next to me. So it was just us. I said, well, you'll have to be happy. It's just us because my father's resting. And they mm. were like, yes, yes, yes. Mm. And I thought, well, they'll ask me the question, right? Because I'm the adult. And the presenter went straight to Georgia at 11 on live television and said, so how do you feel about your grandfather becoming a beacon of hope to the world? And how do you feel sharing him? And how does that make you feel emotionally? I'm wanting in my head to go, she's 11. Yeah. She Gosh. doesn't care. Like she's <laughs> just watching her granddad walking, you know, and okay. but panicking slightly as a parent because you think, I have no idea what she's going to say and she won't mean to do it wrong. But what is that? comes out somehow all wrong. Mm. Um, but I've learned already in the last two weeks that my job is to smile and keep everything rolling. And so I did and it landed okay and we lasted another moment and we went inside and I think I probably looked a bit harassed at that point, which is rare for me, right? Because uh, <laughs> I am my father's daughter, we don't really do harassed. And he looked at me, he went, make it stop. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, um, and too much. At, at this point, Colin had come bowling down the corridor and said, you missed CNN uh, because I'd been delayed doing whatever I was doing. And, and I went, oh, no, and I don't cry very often. And I did because I, I just thought, I don't know how to, I just don't know what It's too much. And of course, you're doing do. it for all the right reasons. You yeah. just want you just want to raise money. It was all about raising money yes. for the NHS. That's exactly what it was all about. Um, but that just, yeah, the pressure, actually. I don't think any of us realised that. Because we just thought this is absolutely magnificent. I mean, I remember vividly, it was a horrible morning and it was Dr. Hilary and I in the studio live and it was all sorts of bad news. There was no good news, no good news at all, except that your dad had raised something like, I think it was the 20 million. And we were able to announce that live on air. And it was just, everybody just all of a sudden thought, yes. You know, it was like, for me, it was like Scotland winning the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. And we all just felt totally uplifted by that. And the viewers, just everybody went crazy. And then, of course, it went up even more <laughs> because everybody's going, yeah, this is great. So it was remarkable, but actually hard for you guys. Really tough for you as a family. Great, of course, but but hard too, mm. yeah. Real, right? Yeah. Just mm. we're just an ordinary family, of course. Just now talking to the world, and when he, I think, saw my face and just said, "Make it stop, Hannah. Yeah, this is too much for you." Like as he was thinking about you, yeah. And he said, mm. "All I have to do is sit and talk. You have to do he, what he recognised at nearly a hundred was that we, the family, were holding up everything behind the scenes. Mm. Right, the world was ringing my phone." That's all. I, that's the only way I can explain it. From leaders of countries to uh, leaders of global organisations, and they wanted to be part of it. Mm. We were talking at this point, remember, to people in every continent. We were doing breakfast shows in Australia at midnight here. 
then getting up for breakfast shows all across Europe. We did a show with Brazil where it went out to 20 million in its first run, 60 million in its second run. We were topping big numbers around the world. Mm -hmm. And so we knew that we had to secure the legacy and the values that we as a family hold. And we had to hold it so we could share it forever. And that's how we, why we created the foundation, just out of that. And that is a that's a what if moment, isn't it? When he said that to you, because if he hadn't, you know, if your dad hadn't had that real, you know, I know I know you said he's, he's sort of of that generation and, and all of that, but the emotional intelligence that he had yeah. to actually see that this was too much, too much for you, you know, and too much for his daughter that he loved, and he just thought, nah. It would. Who knows what would have happened? You know, you probably would have said, "Oh, yeah, I'll do that CNN interview." Oh, I'll do this. I'll do this, and you'd have worn yourself away. You would burn out. You would have totally burnt out. You well, and and I think then, you know, if I'd have said, "You're right," let's call it. Mm. Mm. You know, what if we'd sat around the table then, and said, "Yeah, too much. We're, we're just ordinary family. We can't do it. It's too. It, it's we can't. We can't handle the millions of emails." Um, we we can't handle the media attention, the drones, the helicopters, the lenses at every meter, the satellite vans outside our house. We can't do it. But we didn't. We said we can. I hadn't realised that, Hannah, about the you know the intrusion in in the sense, albeit from a good place you know people watch people just wanted to to be part of the story and it was a and it was an amazing thing to to be there and everybody wanted to talk to him of course they did but that again that intrusion is is very difficult to deal with isn't it i can't mm. you know it's only really a-listers that would get that sort of thing and they're usually behind closed doors somewhere you know you didn't have that 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 sort of protection in that sense you just didn't no and it's totally different totally different and i can only explain how it is these months later, that the rules don't apply to us. Any rules that you may think apply to people in the public eye don't apply to us. And, and, and I'm not saying that in any negative way at all. It's just that we are just ordinary. So no one will ever think we're not accessible because we're completely accessible because we're just living our lives like everybody else. And still, it takes me twice as long to go anywhere. Because mm. um, people want to engage and they want to talk about love. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it, when I say it? They want to talk about the humanitarian touch of hope that he gave. And now we, without him, we're it. Yeah, and they just want to tell you thank you or yeah. we're sorry that he's not here and to be part of it but that's so difficult for you because I mean you know obviously we were really 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 upset of course and deeply saddened when when he died it was it was really sad but for you it was different for you because you have had to share him with everybody you have haven't you mm. but you're dealing with the death of the person that you loved so very very much and then every single day you're getting reminded of that with people the best of intentions aren't yeah. you the best of intentions, but they're still, it's still bringing it back all the time. And that that will not stop for a very, very long time, I don't think. No, I think it was the day that we announced his death. You know, we'd, we'd held off quite a lot, um, a few hours before we announced it. It took three and a half minutes from when we put the press release out for it to go global. Mm. And that was, I think, the moment when it flashed onto 
national television, our television, that both the children sobbed because it was suddenly grand, more real in a way. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, granddad's dead. Mm. He won't be coming back. And, you know, you open the cupboards and his hobnobs are still in it. Because oh. he was a hobnob, milk chocolate, not plain. I agree. Like mine. Yeah. Like buy one, get one free always. <laughs> so we have a lot of milk chocolate hobnobs still in the cupboard. But his stuff's still there. Oh. And that's the hard thing. So, But just thinking about how do you tell the world that Captain Tom's not well, firstly. Mm. Mm. So yeah. if only my sister and I said, I know this is really hard because, you know, she lives relatively far away. So hard because she's not in the public eye like we are we have to tell the world he's not well we cannot go from everyone thinking he's well to telling them he's dead we have to give them a pathway Mm -hmm. and so we sat in the car following the ambulance thinking of what the message how we could craft the message and I said look I'll just post it on my Twitter that's it by the time we'd got there the hospital was surrounded and so then when we realised, genuinely though at this point, we thought he'd come out. You did, didn't we? We did, yeah. we really did. Well, he's, he's survived so yes. many things. Mm-hmm. I would have come yeah, out. Of course, course it'd be fine. And it was really only once I'd got there and my phone started to ring off the hook and they, really we realised he wasn't. So then the next few days we spent crafting what the statement of his death would look like because we knew that we had to tell the world. And we knew we had to craft a timeline that left no chances that there was no news anywhere there so learning to craft your father's statement of death so that it lands in a way that people feel that we've given them enough Mm -hmm. that we've shared his loss with you Mm -hmm. we've told you how it feels and this is what happened and this is what we're going to do but that's yeah. hard. That's a hard thing. That's a really, really unbelievably difficult thing to do. And it was beautiful. You got it absolutely mm-hmm. perfect, pitch Thank perfect. It, but but I, I do remember thinking how tough that must have been for all of you to, to draft that, you know, to to, th- to even be thinking about it as well. You know, that, mm, With that's him lying thing. there. Like, that's what I, I was doing, writing it as he was lying there. And, and actually, Benji and Georgia were with me as I was, you know, crafting it and on the phone. And I went, Benji, take his hearing aids out. Because at this point, I'm like, I don't want him to hear this. He was not, you know, he was he was slipping away at this point, right? right? But I thought, what if, you know, people say that you can hear mm. still. <gasps> what if he hears us writing his death statement? That's just terrible. I'm like, take his hearing aids out. So we did, like, turn them all off and took them out. It was those kind of human touches mm. of making sure that everything for him was happy and peaceful and that we didn't put him through anything that he shouldn't go through and that we respected him. And everything that we felt about him. And, you know, we were bereft. And sitting there bereft as we were writing it, talking about it. And when Benji and I went back finally, like Georgia just couldn't. And I didn't want to put her through it either. Like we couldn't leave. We just, every time we got to the door, we sobbed again. And, you know, it's really, really hard. Yeah. And harder still, you know, to share him. That, that's mm-hmm. the thing, isn't it? It's it, it is really difficult. Oh, so, so difficult. Because I honestly feel as if I'd lost somebody that I knew really well because I felt as if I did. Yeah. You know, I really did. Mm-hmm. You know, all of us did. We all felt that. We all felt as if we had because we'd seen those fantastic... I mean, when we look back, you know, say in a decade and when we look back to these times, one of the... Well, there's many images of your dad. Obviously, you know, doing the walk, of course, um, being knighted by the Queen, though. Those That symbol of those two incredible individuals... 
How was he that day? What was he like that day? Because that was um, the pictures were amazing. It was amazing, astonishing. I can only explain it that whatever you imagine it would be like in your head, like times it by a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> My father was very not nervous at all, and because I think at this point we'd done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews, that the cameras didn't bother us. And imagine if you were doing that on your own. And you were being propelled into that environment and you'd not seen banks of cameras before or you were worried about talking to the press. Yeah. So it took away, all the fear was gone. So we were able, and I'm so happy about that, because we were able to walk in and have royal apple juice. <gasps> amazing. <laughs> did it taste different? Yeah, it definitely did. In an HRH glass, I'm like... Oh, that's oh, so cool. Yeah, no. <laughs> and the bag? <laughs> yeah, we couldn't... Um, and as we got there uh, I was asked will he kneel and I said oh no no I'm so sorry no he he couldn't he he can't kneel no absolutely not sorry and I honestly turned around and all the stools that were practice stools they'd gone like it was magic it was like magic (laughs) and then I paced out the walk for him and just decided how long it would take and how many steps it would be. And so then when we went out for real, there's sort of a line in the grass that is like an invisible line, really, until you know it's there. And they measured the sword was two metres, right, to keep social distancing. Of course. Yes. Yes. It's the first time she'd been out, right? It was. That's true. And we'd kept him totally, totally safe. So we were keeping these two, you know, well, one centenarian and one nearly there, um, safe. So he got to his bit now. They said, his name will be called. And I'm like, what if he doesn't hear? And they said, well, we can't do it. You'll have to do it. You'll have to go and tell him. So I hadn't really thought about where we were going in terms of whether it was grass, not thinking it was grass. Oh, no. Mm. No one actually, because I was talking to men, honestly, no one said, FYI, it's grass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So heels. Yes. 35 degrees outside, um, but beautiful grass. So Colin, myself, Benji, Georgia lined up because she'd asked to see all five of us. I'm ready. He doesn't hear, but I have heels <laughs> that are sinking slowly into the grass. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> so I moved onto the balls of my feet and Colin's going like this can you believe we're here and I'm like I can yes because I'm balancing on the balls of my feet <laughs> so bitch right and I'm on the balls of my feet and they call his name and because in my head I'm thinking I can't stumble yeah, of course must be elegant when moving forward to tell father to move um, <laughs> on the balls of my feet. And he they called his name and just for a, a nanosecond I thought, oh, he didn't hear, I have to move. And he started rolling. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Thank goodness. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so now we could relax. And it just went beautifully, didn't it? it oh. That was the two of the most important people in the world yes, at that point. right then. Mm. Yeah, wasn't it? And, you know, he had said, I hope she's not too heavy handed uh, <laughs> because I might not get back up, right? <laughs> so she said, because she'd heard, as she did this, she said, 
I've done this a few times before and I'm very gentle. Oh, oh that's lovely. I heard it. Oh, just how amazing. That's incredible, <gasps> isn't it? What memories. What memories. Amazing memories. And what was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it, Rosie, that he got his holiday? Yeah, Barbados. <gasps> Barbados. Excellent. I was so glad he got that. Mm. So pleased. I mean, if anybody ever deserved a break, never mind anything else. But he really wanted to go there, didn't he? That was where he w- oh, really yeah, he wanted to go. he had a bucket list. And, you know, we, we, we are going to still try and do some of those things for him. You know, he, he asked us to do it. So we'll try. Um, <laughs> Barbados was right there. Big cricket fan, you see. Uh-huh. And so the minute we realised we had an opportunity to legally go, we did it. And I, because we also didn't think this will be his last holiday, never occurred to us. We thought, well, he wants to drive down Route 66 to Bentley, so that was coming next. <laughs> oh, I love that. I know. Got the style of him. I know. And we're going to try and still do it, and he'll be watching, right? Brilliant. Mm. But we got on that plane, and he was treated like royalty. And so, as his daughter, as his family, how could you not be utterly thrilled? Amazing. Amazing. Brilliant. And he sat on the beach with shorts, short sleeve shirt, sandals, eating fish on the beach, reading a novel. How amazing. We end each episode by getting guests to tell us their biggest fail, win and regret. I think with this one, we'll maybe talk about the past year, if you've had any fail, wins, regrets of the past 12 months, I guess. The biggest win of all, even of my whole life and his whole life. I think we would all say, was raising £38.9 million in three and a half weeks. There's nothing else yeah. ever is there that can top it. No, I don't think anybody ever will. No. No, nobody, nobody ever will do that. No, I don't think anybody ever will. No way. And fail, I, I think I was brought up by him to believe that life is full of failure and that's okay to fail. And that as you go through life to listen to those failures and learn by them and to become a better, more educated, kinder, uh, more productive person. And I think there are things, I'm a very self-reflective person, so I think about what I've done and maybe sometimes too much, right? But I do think about it and I think, could it have landed better? Could I do that better next time? And, um, And I think it's okay to know that you didn't, it wasn't brilliant as long as you can say the next time it will be better than that or that will land better or I'll engage my brain in a better way or I'll teach more people. But I think the most important thing is is to listen and learn and not listen to respond, right? I mm-hmm. think that's probably a crucial thing about failure. Your dad Amazing. taught you well, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. It's been so lovely. It has. It's so been great lovely. to hear all the stories and to have time to to hear more stories about a, a remarkable, a truly remarkable man. You know, because th- that word gets bandied about, doesn't it? And mm. inspirational gets bandied about a lot. But yeah, he truly, truly was an inspiration, as are you. Thank you, Hannah. Oh, thank you both thank very you. much. It's an absolute pleasure <laughs> to talk to you both. Loved it. 